what most seminary students do, especially when they first arrive. I went and scanned the job board. The seminary has a big board up, and, and people can call in. I have work for somebody, and, and they know seminary students are desperate, so they'll call in the seminary, and they'll, they'll put that, that note up there, and we go by there, and we find something that, that connects with us. And I found someone that was just looking for yard work on an upcoming Saturday. So I pulled that note off, and I gave the lady a call, and she said, yeah, come on out. So I came out on a Saturday morning, and uh, she told me, it's pretty simple, and this was a fairly affluent neighborhood, large house with a large yard. She said, we're getting ready to put in some new shrubbery and grass, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to till the backyard, this one particular area of the backyard, do some cleanup trimming, and then weed the beds around the house. And she said, I'm going I'm to leave, going to be gone about three hours, and when I get back, uh, we'll see how it's going, I'll pay you, and off you go. I said, sure. How hard could it be? So she left, and I went about my business. I did the trimming and the tilling first, and then uh, in that second going on the third hour, I got into the beds, and I started weeding the beds, and around her beds, there were these little plants about the size of an egg, and they were just everywhere, just dotting the, the landscaping all around the house. They looked like weeds to me. So I started pulling those things out and putting them in a bucket and and just and the more I pulled, the more I realized how many there were. And they were easy to pull out, which to anyone else would have been a clue. But I pulled those things out, and she arrived when I had almost all of them out. She came back in and, and to survey what I had done, and I stood back with pride to, to show her my work, thinking I'm going to get paid. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I, I tilled and I, and I trimmed and now I'm weeding. She said, those plants you're pulling out are imported exotic plants. And she told me how much they cost and that, that I blocked out. <laughs> Oddly, she never asked me back to do, to do any yard work for her again. The series we're going into mirrors that. You see, some of us feel like we're plants to be pulled out. We're outcast. We're uh, discarded. And, and society treats us that way. The world treats us that way. Our families treat us that way. And sometimes even people we thought were our friends treat us that way. And, and they pull us out and they discard us. But then God comes along, the owner of the house, the creator of you, and says, no, no, no. They're far more valuable than anybody realizes. No, no, no. This is where they belong. In this series, we're going to meet wealthy people and poor people. We're going to meet sick people and healthy people. We're going to meet a dad and we're going to meet a mom. We're going to meet faces in the crowd that Jesus calls out and impacts and transforms their life individually. And we're going to be reminded that God knows you. He sees you, who you are, what you're going through. He knows exactly who you are. And over and over, we'll learn this truth. God responds to those who call out in faith. God always responds to you when you call out in faith. He knows who you are and what you're going through right now. Maybe you're brokenhearted, beat down, and burdened. Maybe you are feeling like the outcast and abandoned and you're lonely. God knows who you are. He sees your face in the crowd. And he calls out to you to change your life. If you have your Bible with you, this is where we're going to start. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, find verse 12. 
Hold your place there for a minute. We will remain in the Gospel of Luke throughout this series. Now, we'll start this morning. Uh, I'll be gone next week. Him and I are taking a little time off, and I'll be gone next week. Pastor Mike will be preaching, and don't miss that. He's preaching a great message. Then we'll come back into this series the first Sunday in March. But we begin at almost the front end of the Gospel of Luke and chapter 5. Uh, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, especially chapter 5, you know the story that precedes the one we're going to read is the call of the apostles and what's often called the miraculous catch. Uh, Jesus shows up in the morning and the apostles say they've been fishing all night, have not caught anything, and he tells them where to cast their net. They throw their net over that side of the boat. They haul in a catch so large, Luke says, uh, it filled up the boat. The boat was overflowing and starting to sink, and they needed help getting it. And it's in that moment that the apostle Peter bows to Jesus Christ and says, I am a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. He recognizes that Christ is God, and, and Christ identifies the nature of Peter. Now, the point of that is that we see then that Jesus is God in human flesh, and he is a God who knows everything about us. He knows everything about us, knows who we are, knows who Peter is, and he's in command of all creation. That's that story. Then right after that is the story we're going to read here. Now, this is a story of a leper who finds out that God is the God of all power, and he wields that power. Jesus is God. He wields that power as he desires and as he chooses. And God will wield that power to heal and to transform the lives of all who call out to him in faith. Matthew, Mark, and Luke frequently report Jesus interacting with lepers in the time frame of his three and a half years of ministry. We can assume there were many more than that because lepers were commonplace throughout Palestine in the first century. And, and we have several of these stories, and they all exist for the same reason, and we're going to see this reason this morning. It's a deeper reminder that God responds to us when we call out in faith. So look at this with me. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. This is how Luke, the physician, records this story. He says, while he was in one of the towns, that is Jesus, while he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more and larger crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. The story starts here. While he was in one of the towns, a man, there, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He's an unnamed man. We don't know his name, we don't know his age, we don't know how long he's had leprosy, but there are a few things that we do know. And they give us some background to the story, a little bit of backstory itself that helps us understand the time and the significance of what is happening in this story. In our day and time, medical science has identified leprosy as a specific disease. It's called Hansen's disease. But in the first century, uh, the term translated leprosy here uh, comes straight from the Greek language as leprosy, actually referred to a number of skin ailments. It could mean the person had a rash, uh, they had scabs on their skin, uh, they had whelps on their skin, they had skin flaking. It could mean a number of things. 
And in the ancient world, people didn't know whether whatever they had was contagious or not. So the law of Moses in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 gave guidelines to the priest of what to do if someone reported that they had a skin condition, otherwise known as leprosy. Wherever it fell under the umbrella of skin conditions, they called it leprosy. So here's what the person was supposed to do. If they identified that, they were supposed to go and report themselves to the priest. They would be quarantined for seven days. If the skin condition didn't clear up after the first seven days, they would be quarantined again for 14 days. If the skin condition didn't clear up after 14 days and the priest again confirmed they had that skin condition or perhaps after two weeks it's getting worse, they were identified as a leper. And the rules and restrictions for leprosy were very strict. That person could not go home. That person could have no human contact with other people. That person could no longer worship in the synagogue, learn in the synagogue, worship in the temple. That person could have no contact with other people besides other lepers. Now let's rewind just a bit. If you can imagine in your mind, this young man, or whatever age he was, one day realizes there's a scab on his skin. At first he ignores it, but he's afraid. Day two, day three go by, and finally he tells his wife because he realizes that scab is turning into a welt and is starting to move up his arm. His wife weeps, but they know what they have to do. He covers himself, packages some clothes, and he takes him and his burden through the streets to find the priest to report to the priest that he has a skin condition. And the the priest follows the law of Moses and puts him in isolation for seven days, and he comes out after seven days, and not only is it not gone, it started to grow, it's spreading. He puts him back in isolation for another seven days, and after that seven days, this condition is even worse. And the priest says, you're a leper. You cannot go home. By the time of Jesus' day, leprosy was directly associated not only with an outward skin condition, but with a spiritual condition. They were always called unclean, but by the time of Jesus, the terminology referred to their spiritual condition even more than their outward appearance. Because the Jews came to believe that if a person had leprosy, it was because they fell out of favor with God. It was because they were unrighteous and impure, and God was showing the world that that person was unrighteous and impure by afflicting them with a skin condition, and keeping them away from everyone else. By Jesus' day, the leper had to beg for alms anywhere they could. That's the only way they could survive. And if a passerby came near them that had no idea they were a leper, they had to cry out, not, I'm a leper, but unclean, unclean, meaning they were spiritually and religiously impure and to stay away. They were unclean. We can't miss the significance of a story of a a leper being healed in Jesus' day. Because just as they had come to associate the outward appearance with the inward condition, Jesus does the same thing. The story is intended to remind us that healing the body is obvious. 
Jesus, we'll see that in two weeks. Jesus heals the outward appearance. And he says, What's is it, which, is it, which is easier to tell this man to take up his pallet and walk or to tell him he's forgiven of his sins? It's the same principle here. When Jesus heals the leper, his outward appearance is immediately cleansed, meaning his spiritual condition is made whole as well. He is pure before God. See, the problem with religion casting out people who do not fit in is they forgot to ask God. What God thinks of the person has nothing to do with their outward appearance, but everything to do with their heart, their character. And God can make you clean. When the, when the person of faith cries out to God in faith, help me, save me, cleanse me, forgive me, God always responds. And God always answers that prayer. That prayer of faith. Stories of lepers are a demonstration of that great truth. If God can heal the leper, what can God do for you? It's not a story of physical healing. It's a story of spiritual salvation, of God transforming the life from the inside out. Go back to the story with me for a minute. And I want us to see together how God responds to this cry of faith, how God responds to this cry of faith. Because I want you to know God does this for you and me as well. In that moment, you are burdened and broken. In that moment, you feel as an outcast. In, the mo in that moment when no one else will come to your aid, cry out to him in faith. And he always responds. He always responds. Look at this. This is how God responds. And by the way, Jesus is God in human flesh. You can know how God responds by watching how Jesus responds. First of all, God responds personally. God responds personally. Religion tends to outsource behavior. Religion distances you from, from God. It says you're not worthy because you're not perfect. God doesn't do that. God involves himself personally in your life when you come to him in faith. God responds personally. This unnamed man Luke says, is covered in leprosy. That's what the term we, we read as leprosy all over him. It's literally he was covered in leprosy. There was no way to hide it. Uh, it had spread all over his body. It was visible on his face, on his neck, his extremities. He was covered in this leprosy, this unnamed man. But he hears about Jesus. And by this time in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, his reputation is spreading. The man hears about him coming and this walking billboard for impurity cries out to Jesus and evidently comes close to him, breaking all uh, the tenets of his faith, all the rules of the religion. He comes close enough to him to fall down on his face. Now, I want you to notice in Luke's great storytelling method, the rapid-fire succession of the verbs of the man's action. Luke makes this very vivid for us. He saw Jesus. He fell face down. And he pleaded with Jesus. He begged Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the nature of that prayer. If you're willing, you can make me, pre you can make me clean. He, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God in Jesus Christ. He says simply, if you're willing, you can do this, but I rely on your willingness. By faith, I bring this to you, and I acknowledge that whatever your will is, it's greater than my will. 
How many of us would do that? How many of us would do that? He cries out to him, and Jesus responds. Now, verse 13, Luke slows down the action. We had this rapid-fire succession of verbs from the leper. Now, Luke slows it down for the dramatic effect that no doubt the crowd that day felt, a crowd all around them watching what Jesus would do. And their first thought is, how dare this man come that close to Jesus? How dare he fall down at the, at the feet of the rabbi? How dare he get in, involve himself in anybody else's life? Doesn't he know he's unclean? Doesn't he know he can't do that? Doesn't he know the law says he's not allowed to? Look at verse 13. Reaching out his hand. Isn't that vivid? How slow. Reaching out his hand. Jesus touched him. And he said, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to make you clean. You have to wonder, when was the last time anybody touched that man? The priest didn't do it. His family couldn't do it. The neighbors weren't allowed to do it. Passers-by were afraid to do it. And then along comes God. He touches him. and says, be made clean. The words translated be made clean come from one word that means you are purified. You're purified. You are made clean from the inside out. You're clean. It's the power of God coursing through Jesus Christ to touch the one whom no one else would touch. It's God doing for him what religion could not do, what the world could not do, accepting him, touching him, healing him, and making him clean and whole at that moment. It's a very personal interaction in the midst of a crowd. We're going to see it over and over in this series, and that's why it's so important to realize it, it is repeated frequently. God responds personally. God responds personally. Then second, see this. God restores completely. God restores completely. There's two components to God's restoration, God's transformation, God's response of faith to the person who needs God's touch. And these two components always go together because this is how God created us. This is what God intends for us. There's the present and there's the future. There's the present transformation. The Bible says, as Luke wrote it, he was made clean immediately. And that's what that means. Listen to the gasp of the crowd as that man who was covered with leprosy, overwhelmed, overcome with it, is suddenly without leprosy, suddenly made clean as an indication that Christ has just made him whole spiritually. Now he is acceptable. Immediately he is made clean. We're often most concerned about what God can do for us in the moment. And Jesus does respond in the moment. God transforms and restores us right away. But also he does it completely. See, God's more as concerned about your future and where you're going and what comes next, not just with what you want right now. When you say, God, your will be done, and God responds to that, you say that to him in faith, you reach out in faith, God responds to your faith, God has your whole future in mind. He is transforming you and changing you from the inside out because he has a plan and a purpose for you. And if you've drifted from God, if you've been away from him, you can know he still has that plan and that purpose for you. When you come back to him in faith, you get on pace with that plan and that purpose that he has for you. Jesus has this long-term look in mind. So he says to him, 
Don't tell anybody. It's not your job right now to go proclaim to the masses that Jesus is the Christ and he's just made you whole and clean and set you free. You need to follow the law and go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. Now, the follow-up to a clean person for the priest was very similar to the, what the person had to do when they discovered leprosy. They had to go to the priest. They were quarantined seven days. If it came out of, after seven days and they still were clean, they could be allowed to go home. Jesus says, I want you to go to the priest. He doesn't send him to a doctor. Have you ever thought about when Luke wrote this story, how he wanted to make note of that? He doesn't send him to a doctor. He sends him to the priest. He says, let this religious person, the same religious person who called you unclean, now they're going to call you clean. And they're going to verify it for everyone else. Because if you just go home, there's no verification. But the law of Moses says the priest can verify this for you. And I'd love to know if it was the same priest, wouldn't you? Jesus doesn't just act in your life for the moment. He acts in your life for your life, for his purpose, for his plan for you. Going forward, he wants you to be on pace with him. And he uses your life in the magnificent work of God. Even though the man did not go out and start proclaiming what Christ had done, everyone had seen it. Everyone had seen this face in the crowd. Everyone had seen this man transformed. Everyone had seen what had happened. And the Bible says, as we read it, that word started to spread and even more people came to Christ. And as more people came to Christ, he healed more and more people. He set more and more people free. He would go off by himself to pray. Good advice. But the word got out. Why? Because of the evidence of the work of God in that man's life. Just like the evidence of the work of God in your life. God doesn't transform and restore just for the moment. He does so completely. So your life becomes a testimony to the power and the work of God in your life. God wants to see, God wants other people to see him work in your life. Hey, listen, if you're a believer in Christ, I want to put this out there for you. If you say, I follow Christ, I confess him as my Savior, and not much has changed in your life, you may want to get back with God and find out what's going on. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you do so today, you can know things will change in your life. That God will use you to make an impact on other people. That's how God works. God wants other people to see how He works in your life. And not just what you and I can do. Hey, if it's all about what you and I can do, that's back to religion, right? No, it's about what God can do. And how he changes one life at a time. God always responds to the cry of faith. Changes our lives. And moves us forward in faith for what he wants to do. Some of you may remember in the history of First Baptist Church, we used to have our Walk, walk the Walk youth rallies. For 10 years we had annual youth rallies. And in 2013, David Nasser was our speaker at our Walk the Walk youth rally here at First Baptist Church. Now today... Uh, David Nasser is one of the vice presidents at Liberty University. He still does some preaching and writing. Uh, but back then, he was primarily preaching. He was a pastor. He did youth conferences and, and very, very busy. We had a great time with him back then. Uh, Nasser's story is that he was born in Iran. And he says, he writes this story, Christianity Today published it in 2019, that uh, when he was nine years old, he says, when I was nine years old, that was when I realized how much I hated God. So he had grown up Muslim, and in 1979, when he was 19 year, uh, nine years old, you'll remember there was a regime change in Iran. 
His father was a soldier for the old regime. The new regime, the more harsh, strict Muslim regime coming in, was seeking to punish all those who were loyal to the old regime. So in his wisdom, Nasser's dad got them out of the country. Eventually they made it to America. And that's where Nasser grew up. But he still grew up in a devout Muslim family. When he was a teenager, he met some guys at a Baptist church that invited him to church. He went home and he told his parents that these, these guys, these teenagers at this Baptist church had invited him to church, what should he say to get out of it? And they said, no, you can go ahead and go. See, what he didn't know was, in his dad's restaurant, where work had been difficult and employer, employees had been hard to find, People at the Baptist church had been volunteering at the restaurant just to help his dad. And they made an impact on him. So when the church came along and invited David to, to some youth events and a youth rally of his own and that kind of thing, then they said, well, come on. And he came alongside them. He went to church. But as soon as he started hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he conflicted with his Muslim teaching. And he started denying that Christ was real. And he did everything he could to put the brakes on the influence of God in his life through Jesus Christ. And he says, one day... Though I was reading the Gospel of John, and I was reading Peter walking on the water, how he fell through, and Christ walked on the water and lifted him out. And he said, in that moment, God spoke to my heart that I needed to respond in faith. And he said, that's the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He went and told his dad. His dad was not happy. His dad was still a devout Muslim. It's one thing to go to the Baptist church. It's another thing to follow Jesus. And he wasn't happy about that. But when Nasser got baptized, his dad kicked him out. He said he came home and he found his duffel bag on the doorstep. And that was the last time his dad permitted him to live in that house. So he went and he stayed with some friends who were being mentored by a believer in Christ. Some men of God that had rallied together. He was mentored by them. He stayed with them. He prayed for his mom and his sister. And eventually they came to faith in Christ. And then eventually his dad came to faith in Christ as well, because they could see the influence God had made in his life, the transformation of God in Nasser's life. You know what? But the story doesn't end there, First Baptist Church. In 2013, David Nasser preached here, and a young man named Kevin Gore responded to the message of David Nasser, was saved and baptized in May of 2013, and now serves as one of your deacons. That's how God works. That's how God works. Will you cry out from your heart to God today? You feel outcast, broken, confused, doubting, lonely. God knows who you are. God knows who you are. Maybe you feel like just a face in the crowd, but God sees you. He knows your name. And he knows what he has in store for you. And the influence your transformation will make in the lives of others. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. First, I'm going to pray for you, believers in Christ. You know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I just want to ask you to ask and answer a, a, an honest question in your heart. Do people see what God can do when they look at your life? Are you faithful to Him? Are you walking with Him? And I'm going to pray with you today for a recommitment to Christ today. And maybe you're in this room. Here's the other prayer. You're in this room. You're at home. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Cry out to Him in faith. He'll respond personally and transform you completely. 
when you give your life to Christ today. I want to pray a prayer with you in just a minute and offer you by faith that opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, our minds. You see our faces in the crowd. You know who we are. You know what we're going through. You know the heartache, the struggle, the joys, the victories. You know our pride, God. You know our submission. You know our refusal to follow you, God. You know all these things. You know where we are in our journey with you. So, Father, I pray for us. First, for those of us who would say, yes, I I follow Christ. I know I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Father, I pray you would investigate and infiltrate our hearts right now. Show us, Father, whether we have been disobedient to you. Show us, God, if there's if the transformation of our lives is evident to other people, if we're growing in our faith. And God, if we have walked away from you, turned our backs on you, God, if we've been disobedient to you, Father, please forgive us for that. And I pray each one of us, Father, that finds you speaking to our hearts that way, God, that hears you speaking to our hearts, God, we would be honest with you. We would ask for your forgiveness. You would cleanse us. And we would start over with Christ today. Father, maybe to make a fresh commitment, a recommitment, a rededication to walking with Christ today day by day. And Father, for that one in-house and at home that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, maybe they're religious, maybe they've been coming to church, showing up now and then, but God, now, now they realize they've been unwilling to trust you. And Father, I pray this prayer with them, and as I pray this prayer out loud, God, I pray that heart, that person would surrender their will to you, would trust Jesus Christ today to forgive them of their sins, cleanse them and purify them, and change their lives. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I can't save myself. Jesus, I've tried. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be religious. I've tried to follow the rules, and nothing's changed. And now I know why. So Jesus, I come to you in faith, and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're alive today. God raised you from the grave and you're alive today. So Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Cleanse me of sin. Forgive me of my sins. And fill me with the Spirit. And from this day forward, I confess and follow Christ. Heavenly Father, I want to praise you, God, for answering our prayers. Prayers of faith when we cry out to you. And Father, I pray for those of us, God, that have prayed these prayers this morning, whatever they might be here or at home, God, that you answer and you respond personally to us. You transform us completely. Start that work today, God, and let us see it. Let us see the evidence. Let us see the change in our lives, God, and let other people see that as well. So, Father, I praise you and I thank you, God, for answering these prayers, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.